Jewish audio on Chabad.org. This part is presented by Rabbi Mendel Kaplan, spiritual leader at Chabad Flamingo in Thornhill, Ontario. We're in the middle of learning the 10th mission in the 5th chapter of Perthi. Obviously, we learned about the four measures of people. Uh, or as we talked about last week, people are measured sometimes. You want to know who they really are. You see how they behave when it comes to money, sharing sensitivity, and their charitable endeavors. And we talked about the Am Ha'aretz, <laughs> defined as an ignorant person, an undeveloped, uncouth, uncivilized individual. We talked about a person who maybe is typical or average, but the Mishnah really said, this is Mida of Sidom. And it's interesting to point out that if you look in the books, the works of the Rambam, the Rambam rules that behavior like this, which uh, that somebody else could benefit, but you will not lose anything, the Rambam says clearly that that is Midat Sidom. That is Midat Sidom. And we're up to the second half of the Mishnah. I'm going to share some insight in the second half of the Mishnah. And then I'm going to relate a teaching of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe about this whole Mishnah in mystic, from a mystical perspective, from an entirely mystical perspective, which is not the literal meaning of the Mishnah, but it is another layer of inspiration and teaching that's couched into this, these timeless words of the Mishnah. So, the, the third measure is the Chassid. The Chassid is the pious one. In the Gemara, we say a Chassid is a person who is Eisel Lefnim Mishudus Adin. That the Chassid is the person who goes beyond the letter of the law, beyond the call of duty. Because somebody who follows the letter of the law is from orthodox, I don't know, whatever other word you want to use, but not a chassid. The chassid doesn't say what is required, what's the bare minimum. The chassid says, what more can I do? What more can I do? To use a, 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 a perhaps somewhat lame example, but yet I think still makes the point, since we were talking about politics before, politics aside, anybody ever hear the word patriotism? You don't hear it much in Canada. But patriotism, what does patriotism mean? How would you define patriotism? A person who loves their country. The word love certainly comes in over there. And not only do they love their country, but because they love their country, they would do for their country, die for their country in the most extreme, but go above and beyond the call of duty. Is a law-abiding citizen a patriot? No, a law-abiding citizen is a law-abiding citizen. I can live in a country, I can not like the country, I can, I can just be here because it works for me, best for me. I'm here to use and abuse. Or, or I'm not going to abuse, I'm just going to use. I'm here to use. So what did the famous uh, American president, JFK, say? Wise words that somebody wrote for him? Right? Not who the president is, who the speechwriter is. So, but it was a good line. It was a good line, it was well delivered, and it still rings with clarity today. Take it straight from Torah, by the way. But the notion is, not what's in it for you, but that we should be involved in something for a greater good. That is the definition of patriotism. A Jewish patriot is a chassid. A chassid. He serves Hashem with love. He loves Hashem. He loves learning Torah. He loves doing mitzvahs. He loves living his life in accordance with the principles of Judaism. And because he loves living his life that way, he doesn't do the bare minimum. He's not a law-abiding Jew. He's a patriotic Jew. He's a chassid. So the chassid is that kind of person. And if he or she is truly a chassid, then their chassidut, but their piety, piety, by the way, is defined by going above and beyond. Law-abiding is not pious. That's expected. That piety would be found in every level and on every dimension. So if there's arba midas ba'adam, if there are four measures by which we can size up a person, characteristics that define oneself, and that person is a chassid, then certainly in one of these four measures we would have to find the chassid. Who is the chassid then? Shali shalach. Mine is yours. The shalach shalach. Yours is yours as well. In other words, as the Bartanura says, Mahanes habriyas. A person who seeks to make sure that others benefit. He seeks to be sharing and charitable for others. But he asks nothing in return. In fact, not only nothing in return, doesn't seek ever to take advantage or, or, or use somebody else. Always wants to pay his own way, but always wants to assure that others should be able to benefit. That kind of person is called a chassid. And then, we go to the polar extreme. Shalach shali. What's yours is mine. 
Vishali Shali. And what's mine is of course mine. That person is called a Rasha. That person is called wicked and evil. What, if there's a word in the uh, in language, a word or a theme that defines wickedness or evil, what would it be? Not evil. <laughs> a word that doesn't sound as threatening as evil. What is the root of all evil? Selfishness. Selfishness. Self-centeredness. Or as it says in Tanya, Yeshus. The, the sense of self. The difference between a tzaddik and a rasha, a tzaddik is selfless, and a rasha is selfish. Now, every one of us, sometimes selfless, and every one of us is somewhat selfish. That's because, as the Alta Rebbe says, every one of us has two nefashas, or two souls. One is a godly soul, and one is an animal soul. How do we characterize a godly soul? What makes something godly? Something that is in a total state of consonance with the will of God is godly. That means the less me, the more God. The more me, the less God. It's like, a, a what, what window is the best kind of window to have? If you want the window to function in a perfect way. And you're looking for sunlight. What's the best window? Yeah. The clear, the clearest window you can get. The more clear the window, the better the window. What are we looking for ultimately? Sunlight. If we want the light of God in our lives, what do we have to do? We have to become transparent. The more transparent we are, the more light there is in our lives. The more light there is in other lives through us. The more opaque we are, or the more colored we are, the less light there is. Plain and simple. Eventually, you can put so much darkness that it doesn't let any light at all. Right? And that's the famous metaphor of the mirror. That it gets so coated with silver that when a person looks in it, not only doesn't see through it, he sees nothing but his own reflection. There's a famous story that's told about one of the Hasidic masters who had a, a disciple who was very poor and he blessed him and he became rich. And this disciple, when he was poor, he was very giving. He shared with everybody. And then the wealthier he got, the more selfish he got. And they reached a point where not only he didn't give a little, he didn't give anything. He was judgmental about everybody. He talked about uh, this one's a shlamazel and that one's a yokel and this one. Everybody's fault why they're poor. And all of a sudden they get high and mighty. As the nature of sometimes money goes to people's heads. Money is a very dangerous thing. There's a pasuk in Chumash that says, uh, talks about becoming corpulent and becoming full of self and full of our, our success and we slip up and we fall away from the path of Torah. So it says, the kesef v'zahav yirbalach v'chol asher lecha you have much gold and much silver and everything becomes in a great abundance. And then the Pasuk goes on to say, Your heart becomes stout and proud and you forget. You forget that it is God who gives you the power to do valor and all of your success is gifts of the Baruch A lot of people got a rude reminder a few months ago. All of a sudden they were so certain and so sure of themselves all of a sudden they found out that that which is guaranteed is not guaranteed. Madoff is not, uh, is not making your money. He made off with your money. And, uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, the, and the stock market is not, uh, is not a place where your money is sure and your investments are not sure. Nothing is sure. And your real estate, that's also in the... Every, everything, so there's not, the, everything ultimately in Hashem's hands. But a lot of people forget that. There are times of service, everybody remembers it. As they say, there's no atheists in the foxholes. But they're not in the foxhole. When you're sitting on a tower, everything's great. So it says, V'chesev zav yirbelecha, v'chol ha'shelecha yirbelecha. So there was a, a wise Hasidic master who said this. Kesef is of Yirbalacha. You have a lot of gold and silver. What happens then? Yirba. Then you, then you uh, exaggerate everything. Everything becomes big. You have an ounce of Seichel. You think you have a, a gallon of Seichel. You have a, a little bit of beauty. <laughs> you have beauty queen. You have a little bit of uh, talent. You're the most gifted person that ever walked the face of the earth. Why? You have a few bucks. Yeah, maybe, yeah, but there's no question that everybody's a little bit guilty in helping the rich people become self-delusional. But ultimately, ultimately, this is the danger. The danger of affluence. It's not, you know, we, everybody play, prays to win the lottery. Who says such a bracha? Who says? It's, it's, a, it's a big test. It's a necessary and it's a test to be wealthy. It's a test to be poor. And as one wise person said, I don't know which test is harder. I don't know. It's not, it's not, it's not simple. It's not simple. I'd like to try it. You see, it's funny. Everybody wants to try it. Everybody wants to try it. How about thinking that, okay, I can give to that It's wonderful. 
I tell you, I, I, in, in, in the course of my fundraising journeys, I often come across people who say, Rabbi, if I won the lottery, I'd give you a million dollars. What I always say? That's $5,000 you could give, right? <laughs> they don't give it, though. Oh, the only one to give a million. Nobody wants to give up this little. Oh, if I have a million, I give a million. This is why. But you have five thousand. You have a thousand. You have a hundred. Everybody is always talking about what they would do. You know, if if I were a rich man, how about if I'm not? How about if I am as now? So this is this is the idea of evil. Evil is uh, money could be a very evil thing. Money could be a wonderful thing, by the way. You can you can make transformational benefactions. A person who who treats money properly can accomplish the most amazing things nobody else could accomplish. You could build shows and build yeshivas. With money, you could change the world. Because, unfortunately, that's what makes the world go round until Mashiach comes. But that you will be able to control the money instead of allowing the money to control you is not a simple thing. It's very, very not simple. Very difficult thing. Why, why is it so? Because, ultimately, human beings are born with a selfish side. And if that selfish side is continuously fed, and if it's fattened, so then that takes over. And therefore, every one of us has a selfless side. Every one of us has a selfish side. The selfless side is the neshama. The selfless side is the, the selfish side is the animal soul. Going back to our story about the money, so what happened is, his Rebbe came to visit him. And his Rebbe saw he was living in his palatial home, and he became totally conceited, and totally absorbed with himself. So he went over to him, and he stood there looking at the window. And he said, how is such and such the Vasatrega? He said, oh, whatever. And he pointed at this needy one and that needy one. And just in the shtetl, Main Street in the shtetl. And then he went over to another piece of glass. But this glass had silver behind it. Also known as a mirror. And he says, what do you see over here? He says, this is, this is, what do you mean? I see myself. The devil took out a little pocket knife and started to scrape him. He said, what are you doing, my expensive mirror? Said, yeah, yeah. And he scraped off a little bit and he showed him that the difference between seeing other people's needs and seeing yourself is when it gets coated with silver. And the person, as the story goes, became very contrite and he realized his mistakes. And from that time and onward, he left his very expensive mirror always with a corner that was shaved off. So you should always remember what happens when you coat glass with silver, that the same glass which allows and enables you to appreciate somebody else's needs can become the worst thing that totally shields one from the needs of others and makes one's everything becomes a reflection of self. So all of evil is rooted in selfishness, which doesn't sell well in the, in the decadent Western world that we live in, because the decadent Western world we live in celebrates self. It's all about me. Me is number one. And if it feels good, do it. And, and, and live an enjoyable life. And, and why wait, uh, you know, if you eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow you may die, is the old Roman maxim, which uh, nobody actually says those words today, but that's how people live their life today. It's all about self-indulgence, all about self-gratification. So what's so evil about that? The reality is you see that that society breeds evil. There's an interesting notion out there that poverty breeds crime. That's the official notion out there, right? But if you take a look and you see about the societal climbing and changing of crime, you'll notice a very interesting thing. That sometimes the more affluent or prosperous a country is, the more the crime rate grows. And when uh, President Reagan was shot, uh, the man who tried to kill him was a, a, a fellow named John Hinckley, John Hinckley Jr. John Hinckley Jr., not only he didn't grow up poor, he grew up fabulously wealthy. He had everything he could possibly want and, and need. And they never spoke a sikh about it then. And the Rebbe said, we see here the notion that everybody says it's poverty, it's the ghettos that are causing the crime. There was a, here's somebody who tried to do, take the life of the President of the United States. There was no poverty. There was no, he lacked for nothing. What he only lacked for was work, hard work. He lacked for being, be, being made into a mensch. And because he was given everything in a silver platter, he never developed normal personality. He became a totally conceited, selfish little rich boy. And eventually he became a very evil. I'm sorry? Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I, I, mental illness is a very easy way to write off all crimes. So I'm not, I'm not so sure. I'm not, not so sure. The bottom line is, you know what the Gemara says? The Rebbe mentioned this man at the Sikha. He said, Hizaru mipnei b'ne'anim shemehem Watch out for the poor boys. Torah is going to come from them. Take a look at history. Take a look at history and see every great leader. Not only in the Jewish world. And see where they came from. That they come, is that generally speaking, it's the ones who are born with a silver spoon in their mouth, or the ones who are born with nothing. Look how the Rambam grew up, look how Rashi grew up, look at how the Kiva grew up. Look, 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 look at all the great sages, look where they came from. It doesn't necessarily give you a head start. 
I mean, I, I don't want to go there, but uh, he, uh, Obama's a very talented man. There's no question about it. Very smart guy. Where did he come from? Came from, from rags. Something to learn from. There's really, there's really something came from nowhere. So the concept that, why, why is this? It, it's actually counterintuitive. Why is it? Because when, when, when you don't have everything given to you, you have to work hard for it. And the biggest ingredient in success is hard work. It's hard work. Not take things for granted. Which doesn't mean that we should be poor, the apes should help us, we should all be affluent, we should have everything we need, we should be able to share, we should be able to give, and so on and so forth. Only we shouldn't become conceited, and we shouldn't become full of ourselves, and we should continue to challenge ourselves. And not be decadent, not look to be comfortable, but look to be going forward, in a state of growth. As long as we challenge ourselves, we're going to be fine. At any rate, the difference in the Chassid and the Russia, the Chassid is the extreme of, of example of piety. And the wicked person, who is the extreme example of evil, is selflessness versus selfishness. Every crime is rooted in selfishness. Give, give me an example of a crime. A terrible crime. Murder. Why does somebody kill somebody else? He wants to take his money because he got on his nerves. I don't like his nose. Something stupid like that. I mean, you hear sugar and things like this. Or, uh, my race is uber alles. I don't like, or this guy, I don't, I don't like his religion. My religion has to be the best religion. It's rooted in selfishness. It's all about self. For the furtherance of my own ideals and my own ideas, I'm ready to kill. So evil is rooted in selfishness. Where I leave no room for somebody else because everything has to be occupied with me. I swallow up everybody else around me. You're right, murder is the worst crime. And murder is rooted in selfishness. That a person justifies the worst crime, taking somebody else's life. Why? Because he feels that his ideals or his aims are more valuable than somebody else's life. So this is the concept of a Russian. Now, of course, you may ask a very simple question. Pirke Avais, these Mishnayot, are not a collection of uh, analysis of wicked behavior. This is not a psychology book where we talk about people who are defunct and have problems. Pirke Avais is supposed to be the teachings of Hasidus. Or as it's referred to by our early commentaries, Mili the Hasidusa, which is Aramaic for measures and words of piety. So if the Mishnah is about piety, we're talking here about those who are opening a Pirkei Avos already, or those who are included in the discussion of Pirkei Avos, they have to be people who are in the realm of, of decency at least. We're talking about rapists and murderers over here. We're talking about, about people who, who, who walk over other people to succeed. That doesn't sound right. What is the Russia doing in Pirkei Avos? She shouldn't even be on the radar screen. She shouldn't even be discussed over here. So this is a question that the asked. And he says, how does the Russia fit into, how does he enter into this rarefied airspace of Milu de Chassidus? The Rebbe said an incredible thing. Mamash an incredible thing that is very, very, makes this Mishnah very relevant. So part of the problem when you learn in Torah about bad people is it's always about somebody else. We're very good at that. You read this and you look across the table. Mamash, unbelievable. Look at this. I can't believe that Mamash described over here. But actually, it's talking about us. <laughs> we don't get it. You know, like we, don't, we don't assimilate it that way. Why? Because something called avas atma. We have this thing called self-love. Self-love doesn't mean you kiss yourself all day. Self-love means that because you, you, you love yourself or you care about yourself, you don't see your, your faults. Love is blind. I mean, somebody is in love with somebody else, they don't see their faults and everybody else is like, what are you thinking? You must be crazy. It's blind. Why? Because that's the nature of love. Love blinds. So we have parents, look at their kids, my kids are perfect. How could such a thing be? Everybody knows how imperfect your children are, everybody knows your children are the most horrific creatures walking around the community, and this mother can't get over it. My Ziskai, is such a bubble. He burned the school down, but he didn't mean it really. <laughs> he was a sweet boy, his friends got on his nerves. How, how, how could that be? The answer is, it's human nature. It's normal for mother to love children, and therefore, the love blinds. Or, if it doesn't blind, the love modifies. You ever have, you see those mirrors that modify? To make you look very skinny or very fat, you know? Everybody has mirrors like that. There's a mirror, mirror on the wall. Get the mirror that makes me look good and finish. That's what I want to look like. We all have this. Those mirrors are a perfect example of our own self-image. And also, we see ourselves distorted. We see ourselves as smarter, as more compassionate, as nicer. We always see ourselves as better. And by the way, that's normal. If not, you're not normal. If children's faults, that means we don't love them? No, it doesn't mean. It means you're a normal parent. 
It means you're able to balance your emotions with your intellect. A mensch is a person who can control their emotions and not fool themselves. Now, if a person doesn't fool himself and actually knows his shortcomings, are they not normal? No, they're, they're a mensch. If that's your, that, that's your default mode, then you have a problem. Then you have a self-confidence issue. So, the child who's born and looks at himself as garbage, Taka has a problem. He's a therapist. That's, that's an issue. But a person who works on themselves and is not enamored with themselves, is not overwhelmed with themselves, yeah, yeah, whatever, okay, accomplish a few things, but you know what? Look at uh, how much could have been done. Well, it's not, don't get carried away with yourself. So a person who doesn't get carried away with himself is simply, uh, simply another normal person. In other words, it's normal and normal. Normal is the way we're born, how we're born, selfish, conceited, delusional, and so on and so forth. So uh, little children are all like that. Little children are the ultimate paragons of selfishness, of conceit, of delusion, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. At that age. At that age. <laughs> if they're still like that. Last night, I was exhausted. I wanted to sleep. What happens? Little Moshe woke up at 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm sick. Can I come see you in your bed, Tati? Yes, Moshe. I, I probably was every half hour. But it smells me every three minutes. I need water. My yarmulke fell off. <laughs> I have to go to the washroom, Moshe. I need to... So listen, a three-year-old kid. It's normal. Poor kid is sick. It's normal. If you have a 30-year-old child... <laughs> and falls into bed with you and wakes you up every five minutes you have a big problem <laughs> something is very wrong why? what's the difference? the difference is a child is a child that's supposed to be a child but the child is supposed to outgrow that and that's what you start to learn you know you come to nursery you learn how to share your toys it's the first thing you learn how to do so, so a person has to learn how to be less self-delusional a person has to learn how, how to look at oneself differently and part of that means to learn how to read a Mishnah a harsh Mishnah, a Mishnah that's critical, and instead of simply serving as a beautiful reflection to everybody else, or beaming the message to everybody else, I hold the mirror to myself. And I be honest with myself. So the Rebbe says, Shalach Shali, Vishali Shali, nobody here identifies. Psh, what a low life. Shalach, yours is mine, and mine is mine. Who is this talking about? What is he doing at this table even? Relax, the Rebbe says. Let's take another look at this. There's two dimensions within human characteristic and human behavior and human existence. One is the factual and one is the theoretical. So that means if somebody didn't steal practically or factually because he's afraid of getting caught. But at the moment the policeman would disappear, they would steal in a second. Is that really a law-abiding citizen? Is that really an upright person? No. It happens to be, if the police wouldn't be here, a lot of people would do that. As we learned earlier in the Mishnah, people would swallow each other alive, unfortunately. So we need to have police. It's one of the seven Noahide laws. We need to establish courts of justice. You need to establish a system by which humanity can be governed. Because you cannot rely on the goodness of humanity. It doesn't work that way. Somebody once came to me. He said, I don't understand this. Why do you have to make membership on the show? People should give whatever they want to give. Everybody would be a mensch. So in your dreams... If you had dreams, everybody would say, you know, I'm having a bad day today. Somebody else will come. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. People need to be, it needs to be mandated. This is the human nature that needs to be mandated. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to live above and without those mandates. The truth is that if we're just doing what's required because we're being forced into it, we're not really good people. A good person is a person who does the right thing and the good thing because they are good. The Rebbe says... There's two kinds of, of, of dimensions in this Russia. There's the Russia who doesn't depoil. Factually speaking, he behaves in a way where everything is mine. Yours is mine, and mine is mine, and everything is mine. It's a disgusting person. No, nobody can sit in that person's uh, if, uh, if four cubits, so to speak. You don't want to have anything to do with them. But you could have a person who behaves in a charitable way, in a generous way, in a nice way, in a caring way, in a sensitive way. But when you stop and speak to them about their caring generosity and sensitivity, what do you hear? I, I, I did this and I did that and I did the other thing and I was so nice to this one and I was so nice to that one and it's all about me it's unbelievable there was a television show all about Raymond or something it's all about me everybody loves me everybody, loves me. everybody can't get over me I'm so amazing I can't get over myself so in, in, in practice that person may, may even be a chassid he may even be in behaving in a way of shalach shali shalach v'sholcha shalcha he may even be behaving that way but in his head, in his mind space, essentially, he's living in the world of Russia. He's living a life where he's totally selfish. That's not okay. Why not? Judaism is about deed. The deed is the creed. I'm nice and awake. So if I'm living the good way, I'm doing the right things, what's wrong with that? 
So what was the answer? You're right. You're right. Halachically, nobody can come to you with any complaints. Halachically, you're doing the right things. Are you a mensch? Is that a chassid? No. no. A chassid is not a person who's a wretch inside and outside behaves nicely. No. A chassid is a person who changes their own being. They're not, they're different kinds of people. It's the famous saying from the Rebbe Marash, I think, that a chassid is somebody who develops a gishmak. There's no, by the way, no good English translation for that word. <laughs> No, a taste is not a geschmack. No, it's a geschmack is it's a a delicious taste. It's a wondrous feeling. You have to use a few sentences to describe that one word. You know, they say, "How do you say?" Excuse me, could you please repeat that? I didn't hear what you said the first time. How do you say it in Yiddish? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Yiddish is a very expressive language. Even a grunt is a whole paragraph. You know. So a word like gishmak, it takes a paragraph in English, so you can't translate nachas. Oh, you don't have nachas. So, so that's the Yiddish kind of word, have a gishmak. He said the most, one of the beautiful things that we should aspire to is to develop a gishmak to do somebody else a favor. Not that, oh God, there they come again. Where can I hide? A gishmak. A gishmak to do a yid a favor. Not because they say thank you, not because they're appreciative. I feel good that I'm able to help somebody else. And not when somebody is down and out because this builds my own ego because they're in the dead, so therefore I feel like I'm a whole hero I'm giving. But really to have a gishmak. It's not a simple thing. And it's a wondrous thing. I, I, I don't recall the lush. I think maybe he said even it's a natural gift. It's, a, it's an incredible gift that somebody has. Some people are born with a gishmak. It's something they should enjoy. If you smart, it's an enjoyable taste, an enjoyable thing. You have a, a, a flair for doing somebody a favor. That is a chassid. So the Rebbe says, what does it mean? Shalach, shaliva, shali, shali, rasha. Not the person who lives that way, but the person who thinks that way. The person whose, whose mind is molded in this fashion. Who is the archetypal example of a, of a creep, an evil creep where everything was his? An ancestor of ours. We're not so proud of him. Lavan, the father of Yaakov Avinu, right? The father of Rachel Leah. What, what did he say to, to Yaakov when Yaakov wanted to leave? Yaakov worked his kishkas out and did everything for his father. What is, what is, he said, Habonim Benoisai, Habonim Bonai, the daughters are mine, the sons are mine, the wealth is mine, the sheep are mine, everything's mine. But I'll be nice to you. So how did he act? He acted okay. How did he think? What was his head? A Russian. So, In history, there are great tzaddikim who produced terrible people. And there are terrible people who produce great tzaddikim. You don't have to go any further than the dawn of our peoplehood. Avram Avinu had a son named Yishmael. Yishmael was a halbetzadah. His mother was Hagar, okay, the Chuvan the end. Then you have Yitzchak and Rivka. Yitzchak Avinu and Rivka Imenu. And they had a twin, two twins. One is Yaakov Avinu, one is Esau. And Esau's grandson, Damalek. Evil incarnate. How could it be? So this is the nature. That's, that's, uh, the, the way it is, is that not always good people have good children. Not always bad people have bad, bad children. The statistics, by the way, are pretty much weighted. But uh, <laughs> like, uh, you, you, usually, usually good people will come from good people. You know, usually, but it's not, there's, no, there's no givens. There are many, many examples in history where it wasn't like that. Ways of overcoming the Torah. Barasi Yetzir Hara, Barasi Le'Tayda Tavlin. I have created an evil inclination, and I have created the antidote. What's the antidote? What's the medicine? What's the way to flavor it? Torah. A very interesting muscle uh, that's given in this that the idea word Tavlin, by the way, usually doesn't mean a medicine. Doesn't usually... Tavlin. What does Tavlin translate? Spice. Spice. In other words, that you could take something which is really not so good, but if you spice it right, I shouldn't tell you, you're much better cooks than me, right? If you flavor it right, something which does not have a good taste can actually, you can bring out a good taste in it, right? So this is the idea that the, everybody has a yetzahara, everybody has selfishness. Selfishness is a very ugly thing, it's a distasteful thing. But if you flavor it right, and you utilize it for the right things, it can actually become something very nice. There's a famous story that there was a chassid who used to go and used to teach in some public. And he felt very bad. 
Why? Because he really felt that he was a conceited guy. And he was very successful at teaching students. And people loved listening to him. And he felt good about himself. And every time he felt good, he would feel bad. Because he was still a chassid. Still, he was a chassid. How could a chassid go walk around feeling so good about himself? So, he was very uncomfortable. And he went to the middle of Rebbe. And he said, Rebbe, I have a problem. I, I think maybe I should, I should change uh, jobs. I'm going to stop being a rabbi because uh, I'm doing too good at it. I'm doing too well and I feel good about it. So what did the middle Rebbe say to him? He said, at is often the verim. But is the chazanim. He says, you should be an onion. But keep reviewing chassidus. Reviewing chassidus. Keep teaching Torah. So what does this mean? You should be an onion. Why not be a watermelon? Well, what is an onion? Ah, the onion is bitter. Nobody takes an onion and bites into it like an apple. Right? Okay. If you eat nails for breakfast, then you munch on an onion. It's not a normal thing to do. But every one of us uses onions in our cooking. Why? Because if the onion is cut up in pieces and the onion is placed strategically, then the onion tastes wonderful. So what has to happen? The fact that he was very self-confident, the fact that he was very gifted and talented, was taka distasteful. And it was sharp. And it was uncomfortable and unpleasant like an onion. So what is the devil telling him? You have to dice yourself up and chop yourself up and stop being so into yourself. And eventually, even an onion can become something that brings about a wonderful flavor. But in the meantime, keep the real service. Like, in other words, why are those people guilty that you have a complex? They need to learn Torah. And you have the ability to teach Torah. You have a complex? That's your problem, not their problem. Why should they lose out? Because you have a complex. So this is the idea of, of the Russian. And this is the concept of, if the, the Rebbe points out, that the Mishnah doesn't say Ha'oise. Ha'oise means one who does Ha'oimer, one who says. You know, sometimes you say to yourself, you don't have to talk out loud. People always say, I would say, I said to myself. Some people say to themselves, what do they say to themselves? Sometimes they, they say it so quietly they don't even hear themselves what they're saying. Shalach Shali, the Shali Shali. Yours is mine. Mine is mine. Everything's mine. It's all about me. That's what they're saying to themselves. That's a Russia. And that's something that is a, it's from halacha. <laughs> he didn't do anything wrong. He followed the law book. Followed the rule book. Law-abiding citizen. He can't, he can't say anything. That's not a person who transforms themselves. And that person has to know that he's a Russia. And he has to work on purging himself of this negativity. And he should start to say to himself and start to have a whole different perspective on things. What should he look at? Shali, what I have, the Abraham gave me wealth. Shalach, belongs to everybody else. And Shalach, Shalach, what's yours? I, I can't take what's yours. And everything that I have is a gift. And I should be able to give it and I should be able to share it and not feel that I'm a big hero or I'm doing some kind of wonderful thing because I'm being charitable, because I'm being giving, or because of being considerate. You know that the difference between uh, Western culture and Torah culture is perhaps most evident in the word tzedakah. What does the word charity mean? What does it mean to be charitable? Charity means to give to somebody. They don't deserve it. Um, it's all about me. Every the expression, give charity till it hurts. I'm charitable. Who is charitable? If a millionaire gives $5, is he charitable? No. But if a, a, a pauper gives $10, it's incredibly charitable. It's all about the person. But tzedakah has nothing to do, not about me. Tzedakah is about the recipient. That's what the highest level of tzedakah is. You don't give anything at all. Give somebody a job. That's the highest level of tzedakah. But you didn't give anything. What kind of charity is that? You're right. It's not charity. It's tzedakah. What does the word tzedakah come from? What's the root word of it? Tzedek. What does tzedek mean? The right thing. The right thing. Rectitude comes from right. Tzedakah comes from tzedek. is simply right. Tzedek, tzedek, they do the right thing. Tzedakah is the right thing. The right thing is that if the Abishra gave me more than I need to keep myself alive, and somebody else has less than they need to keep themselves alive, the right thing is that I should be sharing with them. And that the Abishra gave me that money in order to give it to somebody else. And if I'm busy caught up with how much I gave, and I deserve the honor, and I don't understand how come I'm not being appreciated, then I missed the whole point of tzedakah. It's, it's basically, with no disrespect meant, that's a Christian attitude. In, in, in Christianity, the great virtue is charity. To be a charitable person. To give till it hurts. In Judaism, it's not about you at all. It's not that you are and you have to give. Who are you? <laughs> it's all about everybody else. The moment I'm thinking about me, and the moment I'm impressed with how much I give or didn't give, I've, I've departed already from the Torah perspective. The whole notion of, 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 of self-emphasis is not Jewish. 
And now, of course, you may say, in that case, so why do we publicize the name of somebody who gives tzedakah? Why do we do things? So the Rashba already dealt with this problem several centuries ago. Seven centuries ago, to be exact. They wrote to him, somebody wanted to give tzedakah, but did anybody to know about it? So the Rashba said, Mitzvah lefarsev oisei mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to publicize the one who does a mitzvah. He said, Rabbi, what do you mean? He said, because everybody wants to be anonymous. What's the pshat anonymous? Must be me. You know, nobody knows who the anonymous person is. Everybody takes shelter under that name, Mr. Anonymous. And therefore, when other people see that somebody else gave and somebody else did, so then it jolts other people into giving. And since ultimately Tzedakah is not about self, Tzedakah is about the right thing happening, if it takes you having to swallow your pill, if it's a pill, of getting a little bit of honor, and because of that honor, somebody else will do the right thing, then do it. Because it's about the bigger picture. It's not about you, not for the good, and not for what may be perceived as the opposite, truly altruistic and self-effacing people have only one question. What's better for the cause? And if better for the cause is publicization, no problem. But that means that what's better for the cause. That means for, to do it for real. That the, that the person, that the publicity is done in a way of lefarsim oisim mitzvah to publicize the doing of a mitzvah so that somebody else will follow suit. Not that really I didn't want anybody to know. But, since you're already putting my name there, make sure that it's in the most prominent place and there's 16 lights pointing on it. And after mention three times, I, I, I just somebody else should see. Like, uh. So that is, that is the, the, uh, the, 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 the way of chasidusa, the way of piety of understanding this concept of Russia. And finally, to finish this Mishnah off, on a high, I'm going to share with you a beautiful teaching from the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, printed in Lakutu de Burim, where he goes through this Mishnah entirely, from beginning to end, as a mystical read. So here's how it goes. Let's start from the beginning. What is the average, what is the, the normative, so to speak, the regular person? He said, Shali, Shali, Vishalach, Shalach. Mine is mine, yours is yours. The Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe said that everything in life is about the contest. The constant tug of war between our animal soul and between our godly soul. Our nefesh kiss, our nefesh Some people call it the Yitzhah Tov, and the Yitzhah my selfish side, and my selfless side. Every one of us has these two nefeshes, two neshamas, these two souls that are constantly warring over control of the city. Think of it as guerrilla warfare. Everybody wants to control the city. And that's where we live. Our lives are lived in a state of constant conflict. Why you ask the question, why would God put me in that situation where I have constant conflict? Why can't I have a little peace? So the answer is, we don't know it. That's what the Abish to punish it for. What's the difference? If that's God, that's God's job, that's God sent us on a mission, that's your mission. A soldier's job is to fight. Finished. So you always have to be on guard and you always have to be ready. And when you finish, by the way, you vanquish one area, whether somebody has an anger issue or a selfishness issue or a conceit issue or, 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 a, or a self-gratification issue, you get past one, what happens right away? Going back to our onion metaphor, you simply get to the next level. But that's, that's a gishmaka thing. You, know, go, you go from level to level. <laughs> Recently, you read a cute joke. This, um, this group of uh, young inductees uh, going to join the Marines. So the senior instructor comes in and he asks them if they play the video game. I forgot the name of the video game. It's a local new video game which enacts scenes that of Marines fighting, Marines going through. So we asked them, has anybody got to level 9? Everybody beat level 9. So one kid goes, yeah, I did. And every, the whole crowd is waiting to hear this heartwarming story or this incredible story of how he got to level 9. He says, you beat level 9? He says, yeah, can you please show me how to do it? In other words, the guy is also playing the mission, their video game. <laughs> you know, it's like people go from level to level. Why do people like video games? You master one level, then you have the next level. You master the next level, and that's the call entertainment. So why that's entertainment and what fighting against others is, is hard work, I'm not sure. What's the difference? The truth is that human beings need challenge. That's the truth. And we feel satisfied. People feel accomplished. Why do they feel accomplished? He knows a video game. He mastered a video game. What kind of accomplishment is that? It's It's a crazy thing. You spend your life in virtual reality, shooting this, that, that, and you end up with nothing. So instead of spending our lives entertaining ourselves with challenges of Nabakach, challenges which aren't challenges, a person really has to take relish the challenges of life. It shouldn't be miserable about life. Oh, yeah, so many fights and challenges. Relish the challenge. Turn it around. My next challenge. And succeed at that challenge. 
The bottom line is, this is the story of life. It's a toy, it's a hurra, constant challenge, constant tug of war, constant back and forth. So, the midabaininess is that the godly soul says, leave me alone with this animal. I don't want to have to deal with it. I want to ignore it. Shali, shali, shalach, shalach. I want to learn Torah. I want to daven. I want to be spiritual. I'm not getting involved with the body. If my body has certain issues, if I have certain natural traits which are inappropriate, I don't want to deal with them. Hear no evil, see no evil, Asperger syndrome, put your head in the sand, ignore it. That's all. So, this is a midabaininess. Bottom line is, as long as the person is able to control the city, so to speak, he's doing all the right things, he hasn't changed himself. He has all of those desires, he has all of those inclinations, he has all of those negative default modes, but he doesn't want to deal with it. Shali, shali, shalach, shalach. I'm not dealing with the nefshabamas, I'm not dealing with my dark side, I want to deal with my skeletons. Midabaininess. And ultimately, ultimately a person, even who cannot change his personality, but if he manages always to do the right thing, that person would be called in Tanya, a benini. A tzaddik is a person who transforms himself. A benini, a rush is a person who, does, who sins. What is a benini? A benini, an average person in Tanya, is a person who is racked with all kinds of temptations, and yet, never ever gives in. Does, always does the right thing. Yeah. All of the same feelings that well up in the heart of a wicked person, wells up in the heart of a Benini. All of the desires, all the temptations. Only the Benini is in full control. Never, ever lets up. Never gives in. He says, Shalish, Shalish, Shalach, Shalach. I can't change my animal. I can't change my temptations. I can't change my default mode. But those things are not going to be what governs. Shalish, Shalish. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to do what I have to do. So, Zubin a Benini. The Friedrich never said, that's a, a play on words, a pun intended. That's a Benini. Bainanis, that is a Bainani. Then we have a next level of person who says, Shali Shalach, Shalach Shali. Mine is yours, and yours is mine. That means a person who gets into his dark side, who deals with his skeletons, who says, it's all one thing. Shali Shalach, Shalach Shali, doesn't draw any distinctions. It's, it's a total package. And therefore a person has, he, he commits himself to changing himself. He commits himself that the soul and the body should be seamlessly working in tandem with serving God. And that natural traits or natural uh, uh, feelings or natural default, which could be negative, can simply be harnessed to turn positive. A person who is filled with passion and love for inappropriate things becomes a passionate davana. He becomes, he gets his gishmak in doing somebody a favor. He he's not a person who doesn't have a gishmak. He has a, a tremendous passion, a love out of life. Only he redirects it. So, shalach, shalish, shalish, shalach, shalach. Friedrich said, that person is called Am Ha'aretz. What's Am Ha'aretz in a positive sense? Am Ha'aretz means that that person claims the land. In other words, he has transformed the land. The land, instead of being an earthy and a, and a, 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 a filthy place, he cleanses it. And he makes it into a holy strata. He fills his life, or he fills his body, and he fills his earth with light, which is the concept of one who is able to overcome those challenges and those tests. So we're going from a Benini, who has control over a situation, but kind of changes the situation, to a person who is involving, evolving himself into a quasi-tzadik, where he's able actually to change the Oretz. He becomes an Am Haaretz. Then we have a Chassid. The Chassid is a person who says, Shali Shalach, Vishalach Shalach. Ultimately, the person who is saying, mine is yours and yours is mine, he still has a mind. He still has a mind. So, is there a feeling of self? Yeah, the holy self. but still self. I love God. I love mitzvahs. I enjoy doing good things. There is still a sense of self. Only the sense of self has been sublimated for a higher purpose. They tell a story that was a chassad of the Rebbe who became a benini. A perfect Jew. Perfect score. So they said to him, how did you have a perfect score? How did you do it? He said it was all out of arrogance. So talking about arrogance is a terrible thing. Gaiva. He said, every time the Yitzhara would come and try to get me to do an Aveda, I said, me? A chassid of the Alter ever? I should do such a thing? In Yiddish, it's tasnished. Not nice. Not nice. I can't do it. So he said I, he had a natural in- inclination of arrogance, and he used that natural inclination of arrogance to become a springboard to serve Hashem. So, but uh, there's still a self involved over there. That's not yet the highest level of piety. The highest level of piety when somebody could transcend self altogether. Which, by the way, this is a very difficult thing to do. Very few tzaddikim can reach that level. In other words, imagine somebody who is only concerned with the greater good of godliness on earth. Doesn't care about whose chus it will be. 
Who will get the RBI? Who will be the one to put the puck into the net? doesn't care. He is the unknown soldier, so to speak. The unsung hero. Always in the background. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Never has his day in the sun. Never has his day in the light. doesn't care. It's never about self. They tell a story of a tzaddik who came once to a village and he found there was no mikvah in the village. A whole village of Jews living without a mikvah. And there was one man who was wealthy enough to build a mikvah. And they didn't want to give it. And this tzaddik came and he said to him, I give you away my portion in Olam Haba. You take my whole Gan Eden. Only what I'm asking, build a mikvah. In other words, here's a person who's ready to give, you know, schar of Einish, reward and punishment. He's labored his whole life and he's built up this big account and he's ready to give it away. Why? So he should go to the mikvah. should be a mikvah in the village. Aye, what's in it for him? Nothing. That's how tzaddik is totally self-effacing. We reach the point of such high level to serve as Hashem. It's not about self at all. This is a very rare, rare phenomenon. It's nice for us to talk about this, to hear about such people. Whether we will ever reach there is not only unlikely, but fairly impossible. In fact, if we'll probably never even reach me the Bainanis. We will aspire to reach me the Bainanis. We will be in awe of the person whose arrogance and conceit is holy is dedicated, and we are totally blown away by this Shalak Shali, the person who becomes transcendent himself. This is a Rebbe. That's a Tzaddik, once in a generation. A person who is not about them at all. It's never about them anymore. They become totally transparent. And that's why Chassidim could be fixated on a Rebbe, and it seems to be such a sense of focus on, on, a, on a human being, but in fact it's all about the Why? Right? Because what you see in this person is the glass. You see in that person total self-abnegation, total humility, where simply it's so transparent that it becomes a vehicle through which a yid is able to get keiches. Right? That's the famous uh, marshal that's brought down by our sages. There's memutza hamachaber and memutza hamasik. There's an intermediary who serves as a nexus, a gateway, a connecting point, and then an intermediary who serves as an intermediary, a blockage. So in other religions where they, religious systems, I should say, where they glorified and deified human beings, those human beings became gods in and of themselves. And therefore, those human beings became It's an intermediary. They said, there is a god, the god of all gods, but he's too far away. Therefore, he has to have a brother or a son or a cousin, somebody I have to talk to, or a sun or a moon, something I can see and relate to, and that, and that god will petition the big god. What happened ultimately from that theory? They got stuck only with the sun and the moon. They got stuck only with the sun. Not you, S-U-N, S-O-N. That's it. They worship only the Mamutza because that Mamutza, that intermediary became an intermediary which divided the, the, the humanity from, from the Creator. And in Judaism, when we fixate ourselves on Moshe Rabbeinu and about the old Sadiqim of the ages, the emphasis is not Chasasholm on worshipping the Tzaddik or Tzidkanis. The Tzaddik or Tzidkanis becomes so close to the Abish that they become transparent. And they, they don't longer have a will of their own. As it's written in Zohar, that Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah were Bechinas Merkava. Like a chariot. Imagine if your car talked back to you. You turn right, and it says, no, we're all wrong direction, it turns left on you. It would be crazy. You're not a driver anymore. Then the car takes over. The meaning of a driver is that the vehicle follows everything the driver wants. And what's a better car? A better car is a car that your driver's in better control. Right? That's the advertiser. A car where you can zoom. You can go to 90 kilometers in 6 seconds flat. And then you can shift it around and go from 90 kilometers down to 10 and you don't crash. Wow. It's, you have amazing control. The car grips the road. Just the slightest touch of the wheel and the car goes in any direction. The more seamless the car is, the less the car is its entity of its own, the more close, the more one the car becomes with the driver. And the more the car, it's not about the car, it's about whatever the driver does. Right? Our cars don't talk back to us, but to get the car to turn, you may have to schlep a little, a pull a little, it's more and more effort that's put into it. So the others were Bechinus Merkava, which means they were totally self-effacing. It was not about them at all. The highest example of this that we have is in the very, very dawn of Am Yisrael, the original founding father of the Jewish people, Avraham Avinu. That Avraham Avinu, his whole life, is waiting for this dream. And for decades, God is telling him, I'm going to give you a son. And that son is going to have, uh, he's going to have children. I'm going to build a nation. And that's going to be the chosen people. And they're going to come to Eretz Yisrael. And when the son is 37 years old, God comes to him on one bright morning and says, Avram, yep, bring your son as a sacrifice. What's Avram say? God, can we negotiate? You sure you want to do this? I mean, what about all his promises? Nothing. Nothing. He gets up with joy in the morning. He's crazy. What are you doing? He's exactly the opposite. He has no questions. His job is to serve our Kaddish Baruch Hu. 
And that becomes the ultimate example, the ultimate paradigm of self-effacement. This is the, 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 the chassid. By the way, it's interesting that Avraham Avinu was called the chassid in various places. Avraham Avinu is referred to as the great chassid. And then, of course, the polar extreme of all this is such extreme lofty levels. You know, the level we, we could aspire to, the level we could talk about, and the level that's beyond our imagination even. And then comes the Russia. What's the Russia? The Russia is the person that we all are, that we have to try to stop the coming. What does the Russia say? It's all about me. What's in it for me? If you daven, you'll feel better. Okay, I'll stop davening. If I do mitzvahs, I'll feel more fulfilled. Oh yeah? Okay. This will be a, a more enjoyable way to live life. It's a higher pleasure. A higher pleasure? Okay, I'm in it. Sign me up. And unfortunately, we have to sell, sell Yiddishkeit. And that's what sells today. So you sell it like that. But my dear friends, if you think that that's what Yiddishkeit's about, if you think it's about self, and you think it's about self-gratification, and think about self-development, and self-preservation, then we'll make a big mistake. There is such a level. But the traitor refers to it as Russia. Even though you're doing all the right things. Why? Because it's always about me. That guy is saying, What God has to give is for me. The whole Ganadin is for me. The whole Torah is for me. It's all about my reward. It's all about my self-angradizement. It's all about the heaven that I'm going to be building for myself. And that person may be doing everything, by the way. But he doesn't, he doesn't, the Shriti Kebbe goes further. He says that person is only into self-advancement. He doesn't care about changing the world. Tell him, bring Mashiach. What do I need Mashiach for? I just need to have Ganadin. What does this Rebbe want? We want Mashiach now. He says, I don't want Mashiach now. I want my Ganadin now. I just want to serve God. I want to get my reward. I want God to be so incredibly amazed with me. He should have to work hard to make me a big enough Ganadin because I did so many mitzvahs. That's all I'm interested in. And ultimately, that is not the high level of serving Hashem altogether. That is the lowest ed possible. And that's what we have to aspire not to be. Now, having learned this Mishnah and putting a little bit of silver in a good way into the mirror so that it shouldn't be a glass we pass on to somebody else, we all have to work to assimilate these things even in a Za'id Amkin, in a small, in a minuscule way, and to try to change ourselves to be more self-effacing, more devoted to the greater good of the Shem Yichud Kuchabricho, as it's called in Zahir, of uh, the unification of Hashem Echad, the Shema Echad, that uh, the Shechina, and that the essence, the Eden Seif, the essence of God, becomes one, and this will of course be experienced by all of uh, God's cre- creation, when Mashiach Tzitkenu will hopefully soon bring an end to this Golos, and Heda V'yameinu Amen.